Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, along with Eric Smith. We're recording on Friday, October 27, 2017, at night, so this is YA after dark. Ooh. <laughs> that sounds that sounds way more ominous than it really is. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, happy birthday! Aw, thank you. So, um, your birthday's on the twenty fifth. My birthday's also on the twenty fifth, which means that the twenty fifth is the perfect day of any month to be born. It's true. It means that we are far superior people to anybody else, right? It's true. It's true. I uh, I turned thirty five, which, according to our podcast, uh, the last episode. I'm now, I'm, I'm too old to read YA, so it's, you know, it's been a good run on this podcast, but uh, I'll be leaving. <laughs> if anybody would like to take Eric's place, uh, there's an application process that can be, can be completed. Um, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too far behind you, honestly. Um, and sometimes when I, when I hear about what the kids are doing, I'm like, man, I feel so old. Ah. Or I, I look at what the kids are wearing today and I'm like, that's what I wore in high school. And it's all coming back. <laughs> oh, those youths. Those youths, right? Right. Good for them, though. Good for yeah. them. So what are you reading right now? Uh, well, I just finished um, A Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Um, I actually read it twice, and I'll explain why in a second. But um, it's this really amazing inverse book. Um, a kid's brother is murdered, and he's got this gun on the elevator, and he's, he's on his way to get his revenge, essentially. And uh, on every stop, every floor, he starts to meet people that fill in pictures about what might have really happened to his brother. Um, so, you know, it's written in verse. And the thing about verse novels is that you can just... You can just inhale them <laughs> so quickly. And uh, I think I read that book in like an hour, maybe like 90 minutes. Um, but when you do that, you, you end up missing out on, on so much, you know? So I, uh, I read it again and like, oh man, Jason Reynolds, he just does so much with so few words. And I wish I could figure out how to do that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then our podcast would be like five minutes long. So <laughs> right, uh, right. We'd, we'd be done in no time. Yeah, um, I, I read that one. T- I read that one, too, and I loved it. Um, and I only read it once. But after talking with somebody else who had read it, she gave me a theory about what she thought happened. Ooh. And now I'm like itching to reread it and see what I think of her theory. And I'm obviously not going to say what that is. Because um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil the book for anybody. But it has to do with those last lines, which are just like a gut punch. Um yeah. So now I'm like, okay, I, I'm not a huge rereader, but that book, I read it so quickly the first time and loved it. Now I want to go back and reread it a little bit more slowly like you you have and just see what what new like insights that can lead to. Yeah, and I feel like inverse novels lend themselves really well to that that the reread. You know, I don't read reread a lot of YA. I, I do it when it's a maybe it's a book in a series and I haven't read the this the second one, the third one's out already, so I'll just read all three uh, to get totally caught up on the story. But with inverse books, you know, there's there's stuff you miss, and yeah. it's uh, you know, yeah. it's fun it's fun to go back. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. I I'm gonna have to do that with this one. I think this is maybe my favorite Jason Reynolds uh, YA title. I haven't mm-hmm. read his middle grade, so I can't say if it's my favorite of all of his titles. But I think it really shows just sort of 
the the range he has in terms of writing, in terms of style, in terms of voice, and oh, I loved it. Yeah. And what about you? What's on your, uh, yeah, what did you finish up this month? So I have been on a reading spree. I'm reading for the Sybils, and I don't want to say that it's every YA realistic historical mystery thriller sort of book published <laughs> in the last year, but it sure feels like it sometimes. And Oh, man. Yeah, it's good and bad. Like, it's been great because I've caught up on a lot of stuff that I've been meaning to read and haven't read. And it's exposed me to some new stuff that, like, I otherwise may not have picked up on my own. Um, but, you know, then there's the dead books that you're like, ugh, ugh, can I get to page 50? Can I get to page 50? Um, but I just I just finished Echo After Echo by Amy Rose Capetta, which had a couple things that I didn't love about. But for the most part, I really enjoyed the the book. And I know many, many readers would. It's a queer romance set in a theater which has sort of a murderous history to it so there's a there's a little bit of a body count there's a super sketchy director of the show and then um like i said there's a romance that's really really wonderful that runs throughout it um and it's about a a senior in high school who decides not to take her senior year because she got a this lead role in a show in new york city so that's how she's spending her last year instead of going to class and um the writing, I will say, in this book is just phenomenal. Um, beautiful, gorgeous, very theatric without being like, what's the word I want? Over dramatic or anything? Mm-hmm. Um, or purple? It's just, it's very pretty. Um, so I can see a lot of readers just eating it up. Um, <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, that was that was one that stuck with me. I, I don't know if I would have picked it up on my own, mm-hmm. but I'm really glad I read it. Awesome. I love uh, I love YA about artsy kids. That sounds uh, that sounds yeah. fun. Yeah, it's totally an Eric book. You should pick it up. <laughs> so do you want to dive so into our first uh, our first sponsor here? Yeah, go for it. All right, because I have feelings about our sponsor. So uh, <laughs> our first sponsor for, for this episode of Hey YA is uh, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, out from Penguin Teen. Uh, number one best-selling author John Green returns with his first new novel since The Fault in Our Stars. 16-year-old Aza never intended to pursue the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake, and her best and most fearless friend, Daisy, is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Russell Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is thriving. Uh, She is trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. In his long-awaited return, John Green, the the acclaimed award-winning author of Looking for Alaska and the Fault in Our Stars, shares Aza's story with shattering, unflinching clarity in this brilliant novel of love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. Uh, So, fun fact, uh, I actually proposed to my wife with a copy of uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Uh, We're in a little bookstore in Canada, and I I carved a hole in the the pages there, which I know is going to make some readers cringe a bit, (laughs) but don't worry, it was like a fourth edition, it's fine. Um, And I hid the ring inside. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of been our book for for quite a while. And uh, it was funny, like, she, um, you know, like, I've... I've pointed out that book in every bookstore we've ever gone to, and uh, at that time she was like, "Yeah, okay, no, yeah, another, another fault in our stars." Yeah, no, no, that's great, but it, you know, it was the, it was the book that had the ring inside, <laughs> so it was a fun <laughs> surprise. Uh, and our so, court- so did the 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and our Corgi, which some of you guys are probably going to hear throughout the episode, uh, is named Augustus after uh, the character in the book. So I may, I may be, I may be quite the fan. I have to ask, did you coordinate with the bookstore to do this proposal or did you sort of <laughs> spring it on them? Like, was it, I'm assuming it was your book and not theirs that you sat there and carved, oh, you know, yeah. carved up a lid. Oh no, I had it in my little bag. <laughs> And uh, just sort of went in there and panicked and gave it to the bookseller and talked to the bookseller really quick. I'm like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm going to go propose to my wife really, my, my, my girlfriend really quick. Um, can you take a picture? And I gave him my phone and uh, he managed to get some really nice pictures and it was, uh, <laughs> it was really quite lovely. That's awesome. That is such a great story. Um, and, you know, it probably made that bookseller's day and it's probably one of those stories that they'll tell for yeah. the rest of their life. <laughs> it, was in, uh, it was in Ben McNally Books. Very nice. Toronto, yeah. So today's show is really in three parts. We have two sort of stories to talk about that are a little bit heavier, like content-wise. And then we have a very fun feature at the end that will (laughs) leave us in a very delighted mood to to ring out everything. Um, So I I guess I could start this first piece. Um, So... Last week, two weeks ago maybe, Belinda Lowe released her LGBTQIA by the numbers. This is a annual count that she has done looking at mainstream publishing and the sort of queer content they're they're putting out each year. So it's a way to sort of gauge whether there is a trend in, in seeing more LGBTQIA, if there are huge holes that still need to be filled. Um, it's just a fascinating look at the annual output by publishers who don't specialize in, in queer YA. Mm. Um, so she looks at the big five and then a few others that are larger publishers. So HMA, HMH, Scholastic, those sorts of like well-known YA publishers. Um, so she took a year off. And so this year she has 2015 and 2016's numbers all at once. And, um, What I found really interesting, one of the first most obvious sort of observations in her data, is that there's been a sharp rise in LGBTQ-focused books since 2014 from mainstream publishers, so all the publishers that she looked at, as well as the major publishers, so the big five, um, which is awesome. Like, it's awesome to see that they're putting more and more out there. Yeah. yeah. So... (laughs) What I really like is she talks about gender in a way that's really, really thoughtful and reflective of our own cultural understanding of how gender works. So she's really specific in talking about gender and not sexuality and why it's extremely tricky to categorize sexuality in a way that it's not as tricky to categorize gender. And I think that anybody who's ever thought about LGBTQIA or has ever been confused about these definitions, what they mean, um, what they might look like when it comes to their reading, I can't recommend looking at her really clear and succinct definitions enough. Yeah, you know, I really like how she defines how she tracks the the books um, as well. You know, for like she was talking about how. Um, you know, she focuses specifically on books where the the gay storyline is the main storyline. It's not. It's not a supporting. One, uh, and I feel like the, the, the numbers would be a lot higher if she counted every single story 
uh, that had a gay character in it. So, like, I really appreciate the the focus, you know? Like, the character mm-hmm. has to be the star um, of the book, has to be the star of the story. Um, I like that. I like that yeah, quite well, a bit. When you, when you say it has to be the star of the story, that's something she talks about, too. Um, a book that came out in... I don't remember if it was 2015 or 2016, was Cordelia Jensen's Skyscraping, mm. which is a, a novel, another novel in verse. Yes. And it's about the main character's father who um, has come out as gay and sort of how she um, she learns about how he, he came to, to learn this about himself and, and what it means in her day-to-day life, if it means anything. Um, and that Melinda put in the LGBTQ focus book count because the storyline is about that even though our main character is straight um this hat white girl um the book itself is not focused on anything outside this big thread of her father's sexuality and identity and um so it's it's yeah i i'm impressed with her ability to really narrow that down um and i can't imagine the sort of work it would take to even do a count where you're looking at side characters or, or these minor plot lines in YAs. I think we're seeing more and more of that as well. It's a phenomenal amount of work. I I, I, I can't <laughs> even fathom. And she, she had a, a book come out this year, you know? Like, oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> right? And she, yeah. It's incredible. Um, I helped count a few years back. Just She has had in the past, and I don't know if she did it this year or not, She'll have a few people help count and has a huge list of the books that came out. And then it's just tracking different um, categories. So gender, sexuality, um, main characters, gender, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I know how much work just doing that spreadsheet was. I cannot imagine then taking all that data and doing something with it and having something thoughtful to say about it. Um, And also like writing a book. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, this data is pretty much, I can imagine a full-time job in and of itself. So, um, maybe a couple other interesting pieces of what she found. In 2015, there were no trans characters in YA. And when I read that, I thought, that doesn't seem right. You know, I'm kind of, I was kind of surprised to see that there were zero. Yeah. But in 2016, there were six. And so when I started thinking about the trans way I could think of, they were published last year instead of two years ago. Ah. So it's really interesting to see, um, you know, you went from zero to six. Um, what is 2017 going to look like? What's 2018 going to look like? Are we going to continue to see more and more and more? I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we start seeing more like we've seen recently. So like Meredith Russo's if I was your girl, which is a romance and doesn't focus on the trans character coming out, but instead is a love story. Like it's a romance story um, yeah. where coming out is not the, the quote unquote problem of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Six books. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Which is still, it's just so tiny. Yeah. So tiny. Um, and then the other thing, this is one of my favorite findings is, she she noticed that historical data had sort of shown some fluctuation about cis white boys and cis white girls being the lead in YA. So sometimes it was the boys, sometimes it was the girls. She noticed a, a big change between 2010 and 2012 where um, cis girls were the main 
characters. Like, they were, um, I don't want to say dominating because they weren't, but there were more cis girls in YA than any other identity. And as I was reading that, I was like, my first thought was, well, that's when we had Twilight and the Hunger Games, which is when we had cis girls who were lead characters and part of their plot line was, you know, which boy are they going to choose? And <laughs> during those years, we saw a lot of books that tried to, to do similar things. So it wasn't surprising um, when I started thinking about dates and, and gender, like seeing that that was a time when cis girls had more, had more stories written about them. But um, Melinda notes this, and this is a quote from her, her piece. My takeaway from this situation is that while publishers have historically published more books about cis boys, they are beginning to publish more books about cis girls. The increase in books about cis girls only dates back a few years, though, and it remains to be seen whether the trend for cis girls continues to go up. So my, my comment on this is the one that just, like, I hate saying it feels good to say this, but it feels good to say this. <laughs> All those people who ask... Where are the boys in YA? Like, the answer is, they're there. They've been there. They're everywhere. <laughs> There's more of them than anything else. Yes, I loathe that debate. You know, where are the YN elves or boys? They're all over the place. The books are for everyone to begin with. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, books don't have gender. You don't, like, take off their covers and suddenly know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's one of those debates that's just so tired and boring. And, you know, even if you can't get away from it, like, all you have to do is show this data and be like, look, you've got no legs to stand on. The books are there. Um, if you insist on giving your boys, boys as main characters, like, you're going to you're gonna do okay. Yeah. Um, just as you're going to do okay if you want a book, a YA book that's written by uh, a dude. Like, you're going to do okay. There's plenty of them. And, you know, many of them are bestsellers. Like, they're, <laughs> they're doing yeah. just fine. But, um... I will say just on the whole, it was awesome to see the growth of LGBTQ characters that have um, been rendered in non-realistic genres. So space fantasy and and books where it's not a problem novel or goes beyond sort of the realistic storyline. Um, and I, I hope we see more of those. Like, we just need more queer characters doing things that aren't coming out, that aren't, you know, like... Their lives can be so much more interesting. Their futures can be so much more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I love seeing, you know, LGBTQ space opera and epic fantasy, you know, like teens. They should be able to see themselves in the future. You know, who wants to read a story about mm -hmm. the future where they don't exist? You know, uh, yes, more of it, please. Exactly. So this is going to be like a super weird aside, but uh, I'm going to go for it. Um, so my husband and I have been watching... Um, Project Runway Junior. It's on Netflix, and it's probably years and years old, but that's sort of how I roll when it comes to TV. And <laughs> my husband turns to me, he goes, do you notice how many different backgrounds those kids come from? And I said, yeah. I said, that's what today's kids are. Like, it's not all white kids at all. You know, in fact, white kids are sort of the minority now, and that's, like, that's just reality. That's how it is. And so when I think about what Melinda found here and what I think about the real push for more diverse books and all I can think is that's just realistic that's what this next generation is that's what our generation is really we've just we've taken what has been given to us rather than continue to speak out and up um about needing something more reflective of our experiences so instead we're able to give that energy and say you know like 
look around, our world is not all white, our world is not all straight, it's, it's so much more, and that's what gives our literature so much more depth and meaning and power. I agree, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess the big takeaway from this piece, and I encourage everybody to, to look at Melinda's piece, is that um, there's positive growth, and if we continue to see more and more queer YA that's just really well done, that sells well, that people buy, that people are promoting, that people um, are giving awards to, you know, that that are being talked about, we're going to see more and more. And some of those less great representations will sort of fade into obscurity and maybe disappear. You know, in an ideal world, they would disappear altogether. But Bye. if you have... <laughs> if you have a whole pool of great literature, then, you know, the, the not-so-great sort of sinks. Shall we, uh, shall we talk about our second sponsor? Yes, let's dig in. All right, so our second sponsor is Owl Crate, which is a monthly subscription box for bookworms. Um, I have not done Owl Crate, but I have watched a ton of unboxings and just love how excited people get about this. So every month, Owl Crate sends out a newly released young adult novel and a whole bunch of fun bookish goodies to go along with the book. There's a different and unique theme each month, and a lot of the items in the box are handmade from small businesses, so Etsy sellers, um, and a lot of those really cool bookish items are exclusive to the boxes, so you won't get them anywhere else. All Crate also sometimes gets um, exclusive cover designs, which is so awesome. I keep thinking, so like, cool. I, need to, I need to like scout out what these exclusive cover designs are, um, making them making the books even more special. And then this is my favorite part. Um, they just recently launched a brand new box for kids called Owl Crate Junior. It's a similar concept, but books and goodies are tailored towards kids ages 8 to 12, which I just had somebody asking me recently, are there any subscription boxes for like middle grade students? And I couldn't think of any. And now I know that there is. Like, that sounds awesome. The um, Owl Crate Junior has three to five goodies in each one. And those goodies are usable activities to encourage creativity, imagination, and exploration. So not just trinkets. Not that there's anything wrong with trinkets, but, um, you know, the kids are going to use everything in the box. Yeah. Which yeah. so cool. So cool. That is cool. You know, and I've been, like, wanting to get into, um, you know, middle grade a lot more. So, like, the junior box sounds really awesome. Uh, I'm actually sitting here looking at the website right now and, like, uh, Laura Ruby's York was a was a past box oh, just in June. Nice. Yeah, that book is gorgeous. I um, yeah, I might quietly type <laughs> over here and try to sign up while we're. Like, I guess. <laughs> you know what's you know what's awesome is you can save those activities for when your little one is a little bit bigger <gasps> too. That's true. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah, you'll get so much out of it. <laughs> and then and then you'll also build this awesome library for your kiddo when he's Yay. old enough to enjoy the book. So in a couple months. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So now, now we're going to segue into, into trends, quote unquote. Um, I don't know. Subscription boxes are, you know, trendy and popular. So I don't know. Maybe that works. Um, that was totally a good, great transition. Right. Good, not just good. It was great. Okay. So, uh, oh goodness, this article. Um, <laughs> so there, there was an article not too long ago, um, over on Vox, uh, talking about trends in YA, um, and the the title of the piece was uh, "The YA Dystopia Boom Is Over." It's been replaced by stories of teen suicide. Uh, what it means that Thirteen Reasons Why is the new Hunger Games. 
Uh, so I have a lot of thoughts about that that title and that 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 subheader there. Um, it's not the new Hunger Games. I mean, I know there's 13 districts and there are 13 tapes, but I feel like that's that's about where it ends, right? Like I don't think it's at all the same. 13 is when kids become teenagers, too. I guess. Oh, maybe that. There it is. That's that's the magic number in all of this. Um. So yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I end up talking about trends a lot in in my my day to day, and uh, you know, I, I'm surprised to hear someone talking about you know dystopia as a trend again, and and bringing up the idea that it's dying and going away. Um, I get so tired of dystopia is over pieces and dystopia is over talks um, from industry. Uh, you know, experts, quote unquote, again and again, because um, dystopia books have been around forever. Um, the world's always going to suck and be terrible, and people are always going to want to see it reflected uh, with some hope, you know, to, to make them feel better about where we're at. Um, so let's stop pretending like those books aren't going to keep coming back again and again. They've been around forever. Um, the article does do a decent job talking about, like, 1984 and, and, and Brave New World and stuff like that, but the rest of it's not that great. Um, those... Those books are going to always be around. And in YA, you know, teenagers want to have that sense of hope that when they grow up, the world's not going to be as terrible as it is uh, right now. Right. And and another thing that this article talks about is just sort of being surprised that there's not a dystopia boom right now uh, with the cultural reality we're living in, the political reality as well. And I just want to shake this writer and say, do you know how long it takes for a book to get out there? <laughs> you know, it's it's two years, you know. Yeah. Assuming the author sells their, gets the book to an agent right away and the agent sells the book right away, it's about two years from start yeah. to finish. Two years ago was fall 2015. Who thought we would be where we are now? Very few people. Very few. Um, so the reality is I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a dystopia boom again, especially one that sort of mirrors current political um, situations happening in 2019. You yeah. know, like <laughs> right when we're getting to the end of this four-year period. Yeah, those books um, are going to be it hard. it takes a long time to write a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, it showed such, like, <laughs> lack of understanding about how books work. And the idea um, to, you know, talk about... So... Oops, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. We'll have, we'll have them cut right there. Um, so, I, I don't know, are you going to talk about the, the suicide quote-unquote trend? Yeah, so... The article goes on to cite 13 Reasons Why is a Cultural Obsession with Teen Suicide and that books like that have been taking over the marketplace. But the reality is, I can't think of very many. I've yeah. seen quite a few books that deal with mental health uh, as a general topic and various mental health issues. But um, I can only think of one this year that takes on suicide. And I can't mention what it is because it would be a spoiler for what the book is. Which is an issue in and of itself, but um, it's been a New York Times bestseller, and it may still be a New York Times bestseller. So, um, one, and I can think of Gail Foreman's from a few years ago. I was here, um, and I guess what I've seen less than like a an obsession with suicide is more of sort of the who done it, like who caused it to happen. Ah, the thriller um, storylines. Yeah, and ah. I don't like that, but yeah. I know many readers do, but for me, it just, whew, you know, it, it, it rubs me wrong to sort of play the, the whodunit, which, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's what 13 Reasons Why really is at heart as well. Um, 
it's so it's so tough, you know. It's so tough to talk about. And um, are there any that you can think of? From? Yeah, you know, I really loved um, my heart and other black holes. You know, that came out that came out two years ago. It came out twenty fifteen um, by Jasmine Warga, and it you know deals with suicide in really sensitive, um, really hard hitting way. There's there's like resources in the back of the book when you're done reading it. Um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really beautiful and really well done. Um, wasn't Maybe I'm wrong. Wasn't wasn't isn't all the bright places about suicide? I, I didn't I didn't read I that one. I think so. Yeah, I think it. I know it tackles mental health. I want to say suicide is one of the big, big things. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess there was the Francisco Stork book from last year too, um, the Memory of Light. Although that one is it takes place after a suicide attempt rather than a successful suicide attempt, or I guess. Um, Leading up to that. Yeah, but see how so much we're struggling? Of... Yeah, all the, all the struggle here. <laughs> like, I don't... Yeah, it is not a a, ugh, a trend. No, no. And, and I think it's really disgusting to talk about suicide as a trend. Um, in part because the CDC has said that the reality is teen suicides have gone up. And they've been going up since 2007. Um, the numbers show that they've doubled between 2007 and the end of 2015. So... To me, it makes perfect sense why suicide is a topic that shows up in YA and yeah. why I think we'll continue to see it. Um, it's a real issue with today's today's teenagers. Um, something else she sort of talks about with this piece that gets tied in there that's strange to me is she talks about 13 Reasons Why and how it got popular, which she acts like she doesn't know that it came out in 2007 and that the you know, the TV series just came out now. Yeah, it's uh, 10 but years. An, <laughs> right, right. Like, the book has been really popular for 10 years. Um, but she she talks about the suicide game, I can't remember what it's called, um, that was going on in Russia and blah, 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 boring. But all I could think about was growing up, like, we talked about some of the weird suicide-type games that kids were playing. Um, you know, it... Teens have always played dangerous games. Like, it's it's just... Part of it is undiscussed mental illness and everything around that. And part of it is just straight up, like, teens believe they're invincible. Like, that's part of being a teenager is believing that you're invincible. And, yeah. Um, you know, so I don't see how having more books that discuss suicide is in any way glorifying it. It's really bringing to light something that I think maybe isn't taken seriously enough, um, both by adults and by teenagers. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I've got so many notes on this piece because it just really fired me up. Um, so I guess one of the other things is it talks about equating why dystopia's growth and like popularity as being a way to process post 9-11 feelings. And as I'm doing the math in my head, I'm thinking mm. to myself, well, I was I was 17 when 9-11 happened. Actually, I wasn't even 17 yet. It was a few weeks from being 17. Um, you know what happened at that same period in 2001, 2002, 2003? YA had a golden age. That was <laughs> when we were publishing so much YA. And this piece just, like, conveniently leaves out some of these massive bestsellers, some of these... Why classics, I guess we could call them, um, that also happen to touch upon mental illness. So 
Patricia McCormick's Cuts a good example. Perks of Being a Wallflower, is Ch Stephen Chabosky is a good example. Um, there's Speak by Laurie Hall Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. So cherry picking what examples you give and coming up with a really complex reason about why this boom happened is so... It doesn't seem to understand how big and complex why it is in general and the sort of history that it's had. And should we? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna read this quote. This is a quote from the the piece, and, and really, where my anchor just just exploded. Um, quote: Suicide stories are dangerous in a way dystopian stories are not, because they invite their audience to identify with someone who is suicidal, and to vicariously experience that person's suffering and self destructive impulses. For some readers and viewers, that is a cathartic act. But for many who are already struggling with suicide ideation, especially teenagers, it may make suicide feel closer, more inevitable, and ever more attractive. Peer-reviewed studies suggest that fictional depictions of suicide may lead to an increase in suicide attempts. That's the whole quote. And all I can think about is, what is she proposing here? Do, do we just not talk about a reality of teen life? You know, do we continue to ignore this, like, huge issue? Um, as the article itself says, one of the reasons that we as a culture look to teen books is to get an idea of what's going on in the world because it reaches out to that next generation. So it seems clear to me that there's something big here to talk about. Like, we can't yeah. just ignore it. Um, you know, it's only going to put more people in dangerous way and I think that that whole idea that we are able to sort of identify with somebody who is struggling with their mental health is really important um I also think it's important that we have these conversations about when we have to stop reading something because it's triggering us because it's sort of bringing up stuff that we personally can't handle um and I think we need to just be sensitive and, and knowing that you know, it's okay, and, and something that we should tell teenage readers especially is they're reading something that makes them uncomfortable, especially when it comes to mental health. They can stop. Yeah. Um, you know, they can stop. They can come back to it later. They can choose never to come back to it. Um, like, what's great about our world, there's, there's so much to choose from when it comes to reading and what we consume, you know, on the radio, what we consume. Do we listen to the radio anymore? I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> just like any media that we consume, um, you know, there's so much choice that, yeah. Yeah, this piece just, whew, this piece. What about, um, actu what about actual trends, though? I was going to say, let's talk about actual trends. So one that I have noticed is aliens. Um, I've seen aliens. A few aliens. Yeah. I've seen a few alien books come out this year. And... Um, of course, I'm like blanking on names now. I know I wrote about it for Three on a YA Theme, so I'll remember to link that up um, in the show notes. But there are a few alien books, and there's a few more coming next year and the year after, um, which is great. Like, I I love alien books. I think they're a lot of fun. Um, and I think that they're really interesting in terms of thinking about what they say about humanity, period. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that if this trend sort of does play out, if these books do well, that it will introduce readers to some of the backlist stuff that maybe didn't get quite the attention that it should. Um, because there's been previous Alien books, and they've been great. It just hasn't hasn't taken off quite like I've seen it 
sort of starting to take off now. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a lot more, you know, after like the fifth wave exploded the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. The movie didn't do too well. So maybe maybe that did some damage. What but about ex- you? What trends are you seeing? Oh, space I mean, opera. You see so much. Yes, space opera. Yes, all the space opera. Thanks. I I love YA that deals with the, the politics of outer space and all the, all the turmoil that's going on uh, across planets. Um, and I'm seeing a lot more of it. I... I you know, I, I like to think maybe Red Rising helped a little bit with that. Um, but yeah, we what have. Do you, think, uh, do you think that maybe Star Wars too? Having oh yes. Sort of a new series of films coming out and people being really excited about it. Do you think that that maybe is partially fueling it? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I was really lucky. I got to read uh, Heart of Iron by Ashley Poston really early. That book comes out next year, and like it's a space opera that's inspired by Anastasia, and there's robots that fall in love with people and and the the saga between ai and humanity and it's oh my goodness it was just outstanding um yeah i hope we see a lot more of it in the in the in the coming years oh empress of a thousand skies yes um Mm -hmm. yeah more please (laughs) i could totally be down with more space operas Weirdly, also goes along with aliens, I guess. Maybe maybe that's uh, a wave of more science fiction, um, sort of space science fiction. Yeah. Which would be great. Like, I love that stuff. So, um, let's transition now to our last topic. Um, I'm in, like, the perfect go- position right now for this, by the way. Like, <laughs> I am, like, recording in my bedroom right now. So, I'm, like, laying in bed. I have my laptop in front of me. And we're about to talk about signing on to America Online and talking on AIM. <laughs> yes. Do you want to go ahead with um, introducing this a little bit, giving some background? <laughs> sure. So <laughs> so with the death of America Online's Instant Messenger, we wanted to throw back a little bit to, uh, you know, ask a bunch of YA authors um, what their AIM names were back in the day. Um, maybe tell us some stories about them. You know, AIM came about, oh, goodness, what? 20 years ago probably yeah, probably like more <laughs> you know i definitely remember being on it in high school and that was that was certainly 20 years ago um and now they're now they're shutting it down i was actually amazed that it was still up and running and people were still using it um so uh yeah we'll talk about our aim names and maybe uh dig into some of these these people so uh i guess i'll go first um my aim name growing up was uh let me be your words um, so back in my past life, I used to take photos of punk and emo bands and there's this band called Foster that I loved and they had this great emo song. Uh, and I can't remember the title of the song, but it was about writing. And one of the lyrics in it was, let me be your words. Um, and now I'm still friends with some of those guys, even though we're grown up like punk rock kids now. Uh, and whenever we hang out, they, they love to bring that up. Like, Hey, remember, you know, your, your aim name. And I'm like, yes, I know. I know. I had it for like a decade. Um, so yeah, I've been on brand since college, having a having an emo band aim name that also had to do with writing. Uh, I'll never change. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. So my first one, I was whatever, 12, 13, um, was a lot of faves eight because I sat there. I remember I remember distinctly sitting there on AOL. This is, you know, back when you had the dial up and you had to wait until nobody was on the phone so that you can get on the internet. <laughs> And only one person could be on at a time. Um, 
I sat there thinking to myself, what do I want to be my favorite thing? Like, what favorite thing is going to identify me on the internet? And I was like, I can't come up with one. So it'll be a lot of faves. (laughs) And then the number eight, I guess, because I liked it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really clever. Um, And I used that one until I graduated high school and went to college where I got rid of AOL and finally had just like standalone instant messenger. Um, and I don't remember any of the names, but I changed them all the time. And they were almost always Matt Nathanson lyrics. Um, and the other thing is I don't remember using AIM much in college. Like I remember away messages, Mm -hmm. but that's about it. Like I, I was a huge internet person, internet nerd, in high school and then after college. I don't know what happened in those college years. Like, I have no <laughs> recollection of my internet life then. Um, maybe I was like social. I don't know. It's so hard to say. <laughs> I don't know. I was just leaving away messages up with like taking back Sunday lyrics. You know, that was that was my aim experience in college. Yeah. I, I remember away messages. I don't remember anything beyond that. Um <laughs> So should we share some of the great AIM names and stories from yeah. YA authors? So a lot of people, were, we were lucky enough that a lot of people shared. Um, let's see, I'll, I'll start. So we have uh, Heidi Heelig shared. Um, she wrote the, the Girl from Everywhere, which is just a wonderful YA uh, fantasy time travel pirate book. I love that book. Um, so her her AIM name was uh, Deus S.C.? Um, so it was... It was uh, D-E-U-S-S-E. Um, she said it's a bastardized feminization of the Latin word for God, Deus. Uh, she said, I was really fun at 14. <laughs> uh, and the reason why is that uh, she says, I guess I've always been this way. I love it. So this one, uh, every time I've read it, I have laughed and laughed and laughed and just can't control myself. So I'm going to try. Um, Angie Thomas, author of The Hate You Give was known as Bow Wow Wifey 3K. Let me oh, say God. that again. <laughs> Bow Wow Wifey 3K. Oh, I love and it. And she says, I know. And she says, I was a huge fan of Lil Bow Wow. I know. I know. And I just knew I'd grow up to be his wife. I did 3K because everybody seemed to have 2K on their names. And I guess I wanted to be different. A thousand years different. Middle school. And then she commented, I can't believe I shared this. Listen, <laughs> I'm so glad she shared this. I and, am too. And all I want to say is, like, if she wanted to be little Bow Wow's wife, I'm sure that she could, you know, like, maybe the opportunity is there now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing you actually want now, but, you know. <laughs> uh, so who do I have next? Uh, so Lauren Gabaldi. Um, she wrote The Night We Said Yes and uh, Autofocus. Um, her aim name was Mercury Midnight. Um, she said it was that because she liked Sailor Mercury from Sailor Moon uh, and thought Midnight sounded mysterious and cool. Uh, and her reason why, she just said, uh, I was not mysterious and cool in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tessa Grattan, who is the author of the Blood Magic Blood Keeper duology, the United States of Asgard series and the upcoming Queens of Innislear, which is a, an adult book, but with tremendous YA quality, um, quality crossover appeal. Um, her name was Everflame, and she says it was the last name 
of one of the first characters I wrote a novel about in high school. And then her second comment was, all caps, I also used it in a D&D game. <laughs> nice. So let's see. My I love, next. I, I was just going to say, I love how, um, you know, when everybody was using AIM, everybody had just like these really creative and imaginative names, like these identities, which weren't their personal identities, but just something that they took on. And I, I'm so curious what shifted now that we have to be who we are. Like, we have to use our names. We have to be, like, our authentic selves. You know, um, like, we're brands now instead of, like, dorky teenagers. It's true. It's true. It's true. Um, so so speaking of dorky aim names, so uh, Rand- <laughs> <laughs> Randy Ribe, uh, who is the author of An Infant Number of Parallel Universes and... His new book um, is called After the Shot Drops. That comes out um, next year. Uh, his aim name was Epic Ewok. Um, and his reason why was simply uh, that I am an Ewok of the epic variety. And that is it. <laughs> uh, Hannah Moskowitz, who's the author of Break and Teeth, Gone, 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 not otherwise specified in a whole bunch of other um, YA novels. Hers was Russian Angel 91. And she said she was born in 91. She was one quarter Russian and thought that that made her really special. And everyone was an angel back then. Uh, That's true. Uh, I have Taylor K. Meha. Um, She's the author of When We Set the Dark on Fire, which is such a cool title. That comes out uh, next year. I love that title. Uh, So her aim name was uh, Super Chick 5000. Uh, (laughs) And her reason why is uh, I was 12. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Catherine Holmes, who's the author of The Distance Between Lost and Found and How It Feels to Fly, was K-Dancer007. And she writes, It's so unoriginal in retrospect. I'm embarrassed for my teen self. My name starts with K. I was slash am a dancer. And when I needed to add a number, James Bond was the first thing I thought of. I'm not even that big a 007 fan. (laughs) Fun fact, the, the Boston Teen Book Festival had a Kickstarter last year, and uh, if you donated, I forget how much it was, but uh, you could be named uh, an ancillary character in one of Catherine's books, and yeah. I won it. So there's going to be oh, a, nice. there's gonna be an Eric in one of her future books. Aww. Yeah. So, uh, so my last pick um, is from Mackenzie <laughs> Lee, the author of... Uh, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue. (laughs) I love this one. Her aim name was the underscore thief underscore lord. Uh, And she says, it was my favorite book of all time. And the titular thief lord was my first bookish crush. Uh, Now, what you can't see in this is that thief is spelled T-H-E-I-F. And she said, no, that's not a typo by present day Mackenzie. I actually misspelled thief and didn't notice for a long time. (laughs) I have a good one, too. Kind of along the same lines. This is from Michelle Andriani. She co-wrote The Way Back to You with Mindy Scott. And I have to spell this name and, and give the capitalization. So it's N, capital N, S-M, lowercase, capital Y, capital I, lowercase E-S, capital C. And she writes, it smiles, kind of, framed by NYC, because I was obnoxiously proud to be from New York City. She thought she was really clever. 
So what you can't see is that the NYC is capitalized indeed for New York City. That smiles is in between, but the I is capitalized too. So it reads NYIC capitalized, lowercase S M E S. It's super <laughs> funny. <laughs> um and I've got one last one I wanted to throw in, and this one is from Wendy Sue. Who she's the illustrator of Mooncakes, which has been an online comic for a while and it's going to be published soon. And she did a comic in Here We Are, which is the anthology I edited. And her aim name was I'm a Witch Girl, one, two, three, four. And her reason I was obsessed with witches. And then in all capitals, I guess nothing has changed. <laughs> These are so good, they are fantastic. <laughs> Um, so thanks to everybody for tuning in this week. Uh, we'd love if you'd leave feedback for us on Apple Podcasts, let us know how we're doing, and to help others find the HeyYA podcast. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars, and you can follow Eric on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. We'll see you again in two weeks. Bye.